Welcome to the American Meteorological Society podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Rex Herbst-Horner, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Morgan Yarker, a certified consulting meteorologist, CCM, and founder and owner of Yarker Consulting in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited and honored to be talking with you. Morgan, could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in meteorology and how it influenced your educational path? Yeah, so um, I don't have a typical backstory like most meteorologists do. Um, I wasn't interested in weather from a young age. Um, I was, I kind of had an, uh, an interest in science. I did not have a knack for it, <laughs> but I did enjoy it a lot. And I don't think it was until about eighth grade when I was doing a summer science camp that I was introduced to weather for the first time. And that's when I realized that, oh, this is a really cool field where I could probably use some of the more abstract science. Like it it all seemed very abstract. Uh, Physics, chemistry was kind of, I don't know, I didn't see how I could apply that to everyday life. Um, But this seemed like a really great way to do it. So I started looking more into it as I was uh, going through high school and uh, started studying it right out, of, uh, right out of high school as I went into college. Um, yeah. So I decided to get my bachelor's degree in meteorology, and I went to Iowa State University for that. And then I decided to continue on and sort of take the academia path. Um, So I got my master's um, in atmospheric science at the University of Alaska Fairbanks after that. And while I was doing that, that's sort of when I made a slight change in my career path and decided to go back to Iowa and start studying science education. So when you were applying to undergraduate schools, did you look at many schools that had meteorology programs and what what drew you to Iowa State? That's a really good question. So I looked mostly relatively close to home because I'm a bit of a homebody. Um, So I grew up in eastern Iowa, which is where I am now. (laughs) Um, So I grew, yeah, so I grew up in eastern Iowa and um, it was, you know, in-state, in-state tuition helps an awful lot. And uh, the other kind of close one that I really considered was Purdue University. And so I looked there, we, we went, um, and I, I don't know, there's just something about Iowa State that just, it, it clicked. I, I, I met some of the professors when I went for my visit and met some of the students, and I just felt like it was a nice, smaller um, group of people, and I, I felt like if I went there, I would, I don't know, just be part of a community, I guess, and that was really important to me. Um, to have an experience, um, not just gain the knowledge, right, but to be, to learn from my peers and to learn from my professors directly and just have a great experience doing it. That was really what I was looking for. And I just felt that when I went to Iowa State. So that's where I ended up going. So you got brave for graduate school. Um, and when, <laughs> yeah. Did you actually go to Alaska or I, was it? I did. Wow. So 
What gave you the courage to just go outside of your comfort zone and go away from home? Were you just yeah. really interested in that school? Well, so the funny thing is, is I actually was, I was born in Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, my dad, so my dad, the, one of the reasons I was really drawn to academia is because my, my dad was a professor and um, my mom and my dad both grew up in um, Minnesota and they did the adventure and went to Fairbanks, Alaska um, after he graduated from grad school and he started his postdoc at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and he stayed there for, they were there for 17 years and that's where um, me and my brother were both born. But we moved back to Iowa when I was about 12 years old, I think. Um, so I had enough of a memory to sort of, I, I knew kind of what I was getting myself into, but um, I, I didn't, uh, certainly didn't remember how rough the winters were because my parents really handled a lot of <laughs> the, a lot of that, like um, cleaning up the car and buying all of the winter gear, um, all of that stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think I, I think a lot of it was I forgot what it was <laughs> like up there, but I thought I knew what what I was going to expect. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, at any rate, I, I think it, it was sort of like it was sort of kind of a home for me. Um, but once I was there for a couple of years, it was like, oh, yeah, when I was away from my people. You know, it was too far away from where my family was now. And uh, it's expensive to travel back and forth because um, you have to buy plane tickets. And and also the food's a bit more expensive because it has to travel further. Right. So it was just it's better to be closer to home. Um yeah. So I, we, we ended up coming back. <laughs> I'm sure you liked the adventure of going there though. And, and yeah. don't regret that. So that's right. It was a, it was a fun adventure. I learned a lot up there and we have some great stories, you know, that we can tell friends, you know, over dinner from, from our uh, time that we spent up there. So yeah, we enjoyed it. So while you were at Iowa State University, you said you went there for, it attracted you because of its sense of community over your other option or options. While you were at Iowa State, what opportunities outside of the fact that it had a degree program in meteorology, you know, things like extracurriculars, what did you pursue that you found beneficial that you thought would be beneficial to finding the next step in your profession? I'm glad that you asked that because the truth of the matter is I did not know what I was doing. Um, I just like to go after things that looked kind of fun. So I would say at, at Iowa State, one of the great things um, that I'm not sure how many other meteorology programs around the U.S. had this at the time. I think it's getting to be a little bit more common now, but they had the senior thesis. So in our senior year of the program, we all had to do an independent research project and write up a thesis and give a presentation. So that was a really um, unique and uh, sort of a great experience for all of us to really get uh, experience and snapshot view into what it's like to be a researcher in the field. Um, and we got to choose our topic and everything. And we worked with um, a faculty mentor one-on-one. -on -one. So it, it was a really good um, experience in that regard to sort of really test the waters and see is research the way I want to go? Is academia the way I, I want to go? 
and is the subfield of meteorology I'm interested in, something I'm really interested in. Um, this It's a nice way to do that. Outside of sort of the meteorology aspect of it, one thing that I was really active in was um, I joined a technical sorority, Alpha Sigma Kappa Women in Technical Studies, and some of the other um, women who were in the meteorology program were also part of that. And one of the nice things was um, the sort of mentorship and um, the really sort of close-knit uh, I guess, relationship that we had with each other as women, the few of us that there were in this field, um, really supporting each other as we were going through these difficult classes um, and um, sort of looking ahead at what our career options were and how we were going to reach those. Um, it was really uh, important part of my undergrad experience and something that uh, I definitely value quite a lot because I, I still have a pretty good relationship with the women that I was close to in that uh, sorority. How did you find out about that? Was Did you find out about it through the science program, through your degree program? I'm trying to remember how I found out about it. That's a good question. I think I was, I think I was looking for, I think I stumbled across it kind of on accident. I don't remember why I was looking I think I was just looking for something that I could do that was, I don't know, the sort of stereotypical college experience. <laughs> and then I found this and thought, oh, they only accept members that are in technical fields. And that sounds like a really good thing for me to, to explore a little bit more because that, that fits me really well. So that's what I did. I, I, I kind of looked into it a little further and kind of went from there. Uh, but I think it was mostly by accident. And um, most of the members that I was close to actually joined after I did. So I think one of the great takeaways here is that I think when people think of mentors, the first thing that comes to mind is a later stage career person mentor. But what you're really highlighting is you had that with the professors that you were working with for your thesis, but you also had a very valuable experience with the peer mentors mm -hmm. and to really drive home that, that peer mentors can be just as important and can provide a lot of support for each other. Yeah. Classmates can be mentors too. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm really glad that you mentioned that and highlight it because um, absolutely throughout, I, I think I could pick out groups of people in every stage of my career progression that are, that were very much classmates that I would attribute a good chunk of my success to them <laughs> um, all along the way. Um, so yeah, for, for sure, my peers have been key all the way across uh, in, in kind of shaping who I am and helping me become the professional that I am today and in a very, very positive way. So yeah, um, looking towards your peers as mentors your mentors don't have to know everything. They just have to understand uh, what you're going through <laughs> and uh, be willing to support you as you're doing that. Um, that's really all it is. So Morgan, you're also a science educator. What led you to pursue that in addition to your consulting work or did the science education come before the consulting work? So the science education aspect came before the consulting did. I mentioned earlier that I was interested in going into academia. My dad was a professor 
And I kind of thought I might want to do the same type of career. And so when I was going through graduate school, I, I had my sights sort of set on being a professor, doing research and teaching classes. But while I was getting my master's degree, I really learned that I liked the research fine, but I would really prefer to do the teaching. I, I really liked the teaching a lot. And I didn't have enough background, enough experience in the teaching to really be what I felt was good enough at it to be effective as a teacher. And the last thing I wanted to do was to be a professor who taught a lot of classes and didn't teach them well. <laughs> and so I, I just felt that it was really important that I seek out more information on that. And for better or for worse, I decided to change my career, um, I guess, direction. And I decided to get my PhD in science education instead of meteorology. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways I could have gone about learning more about education, but, but that was the way I chose to go. And looking back on it, I think I made the right choice. I, I don't think I would have changed. I don't think I would have made a different decision. Um, I really think that it was really beneficial to me because in studying science education, what I really was learning was the sort of the theory behind how people learn. It wasn't just how do you teach stuff to people? It's how do people learn about stuff? So it's really sort of how do you help people process new information? And so the nice thing about that is it really helped me understand how to think. <laughs> so not only did I become a better teacher, I also became a better thinker and a better scientist and a better researcher out of this experience. So I personally felt like it was the right move for me and something that um, was super, super valuable. And um, yeah, so that's that's why I decided to pursue it. Um, I thought I would really be a better professor. And I think that um, had I stayed in that <laughs> career uh, trajectory, I think I would have been um, much, much better having done that than if I wouldn't have. Is that a major that's not very common for a PhD program? Like, are there only certain schools that have programs specifically in science education? Yeah, it does seem to be pretty small. Um, I don't, I couldn't give you an exact number, but yeah, it, it's, it's pretty small. Um, there's like a, a research organization, National Association for Research and Science Teaching that meets every year and they can meet in one hotel in a few conference rooms in the hotel, you know? Um, so it's, it's no more than like a couple thousand people that meet each year. So, you know, it's, it really is a handful of programs that are specific to science education. And, you know, the, the thing is with the umbrella of education, there's all sorts of things. There's teaching and there's learning and there's education in general. And then there's like English, ELL, I mean, I mean, all sorts of things, you know, you can go all sorts of directions with education, but um, yeah. So science and math um, are two different disciplines, but they're, um, they're pretty specialized, it seems like. Well, it sounds like you made the right decision though, because that 
degree program. Sounds like it was really beneficial to you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I highly recommend if anybody's interested (laughs) and really highly thinking about it, I do think it's a fun one to do. I really do. So what direction did you go in, Morgan, after your PhD program? And how did it lead to the decision point to start your own business eventually? So what really happened was trying to look for a job after getting my PhD. Um, I would say I sort of maybe kind of backed myself into a corner having a bachelor's degree and master's degree in a science discipline and then a PhD in an education sort of um, specific discipline. Even though it was a little bit interdisciplinary, it really was sort of education. Um, But you add into that the fact that I then at that point had a family, a husband who was working and um, had a job that he really liked. And in the field of meteorology, it's very difficult to take a job and not be picky about where you live. You, you really do have to go where the jobs take you. And if you're really unable to pick up and move, you're extremely limited in what you're able to take. So that was really, I think, my big limiting factor is that, one, there were very few jobs that I think I was really fit for, and two, I really wasn't able to move to get to those jobs. So I was at the point after I got my PhD of thinking about how am I going to stay in the field? You know, how am I going to keep myself busy in the field and and still be a working meteorologist without having, without having a, a full-time job. So that's when um, I talked to a few other people and thought maybe I can try to pick up some consulting work. And my thought was, I'll do this for a while and maybe eventually um, after a few years, my husband will be ready to leave his job and we can go where a job would take me and he can find another job and we'll just, you know, do this temporarily. Well, yeah, and it it wasn't temporary, (laughs) but (laughs) it ended up being something that I liked a lot uh, as time went on. So yeah, but that's sort of how it started. It was, I was in a place where I just didn't really have a lot of options and I needed to create some for myself. And so that's basically what I did. Well, it sounds like Science education and consulting kind of go well together because as a consultant, you're obviously trying to teach, you know, the layman or client, you know, some technical science. And I'm sure you're really good at explaining it with your background as an educator. So for our listeners, could you give us an idea of what a typical day on the job's like at Yarker Consulting, what your day-to-day activities are? Pretty much uh, every morning, I, I have to sort of, I, I have like this rolling to-do list where I have just business-related tasks that I have to check in on, um, making sure that my budget sheet is updated. Um, have there been any uh, like like any of my software like um, subscriptions? Uh, make sure that those have been um, adjusted if they've changed like making sure the budget's updated, making sure that payroll has gone through um, for myself and for any uh, of my um, contractors, like my marketing contractor, things like that. Checking and making sure that I've updated my website, blogs, all those little like 
business-related things that have to be done. Um, that's sort of my everyday morning stuff. Um, and that's even before I get to my emails. <laughs> um, so then I like to emails, um, check in with the invoices and all of that stuff. So then I finally get to do the fun stuff <laughs> where I check in on um, projects that I'm working on. For example, right now I have a case where I am writing up a report that's due next week and I am analyzing data for an event that happened about a year ago. And I have to write up what I've found in the data and explain the different types of fog that occur and why they've occurred in this particular region of the U.S. So I think it seems to me I tend to get a lot of the lawyers that want to explain to the jury why certain weather events happen. And so I think that's why they seek me out, because I say I have a background in education, because <laughs> some of them have told me that flat out. I like that you have a degree in education because I really need someone who can explain this to a jury and educate them about this aspect. Um, what are the different types of floods and why do they happen? That's what I need a jury to understand for this case. What are the different types of fog and why are they difficult to predict? That's what I need a jury to understand in this case. So those are the types of things that, that I tend to work on. So um, right now I'm doing a lot of writing. It does take a lot of sort of going back and revising, <laughs> making sure that it's clear. And when it's time to take the stand uh, and, and say what I need to say, I really have to practice what I'm going to say carefully because I want to say it correctly and not say any more than I need to because that can get me into a situation where the cross-examining lawyer can start to pick apart and start to discredit. <laughs> they can really get at you and make it sound like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but even if you do. It's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to do. And so I spend a lot of time preparing myself for those sorts of situations and checking and making sure that I'm saying it right. Do you um, have props or PowerPoints or diagrams or anything like that? Or is it all verbal? Sometimes I do. It depends on the lawyer. Um, some of them do want that if it helps their case. Um, so I have one right now that I'm preparing some video got some short little like flash videos of fog rolling in to kind of show what it looks like when it does. And some of them just like, they're like, low tech, please, please don't do that. Just read the numbers. And I'm like, really? You just want me to, to read the numbers off this chart for the jury? <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, it's whatever they want me to do, it's fine. <laughs> so it really depends on the situation. <laughs> Was the learning process for the um, understanding what it's like in like a legal atmosphere, did that all happen on the job? Because I imagine that probably wasn't in your, you know, formal training as in your schooling. But now it seems you have a pretty good sense for what it's like to see a case litigated and the different roles that the different players play. I mean, we've all seen court on TV, but how, how did you start to understand and get a feel for it? 
Yeah, good question. Yeah, no, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I took on my first case and said, sure, I'll do that for you. I had no idea. One of the first things that I did was I called another CCM, Certified Consulting Meteorologist, that I knew has done this in the past. So that was one of the first things I did is I called and asked them, what should I expect? One of the second things I did is I, I am fortunate that I have connections to people who are lawyers. And so I called them and I said, I'm going to be an expert witness. What should I expect? And they gave me some input. Other than that, a lot of it is really on the job. And, and I will say that um, many of the lawyers who hire expert witnesses, they don't really want expert witnesses that do that as a career. Like they don't want people that do nothing but expert witness testimony. They, they like to hire people that do it occasionally. So they don't expect you to necessarily be perfect, to, to really be good at it. And so there is a certain extent of they are teaching me as they're preparing me for, for court. So I will usually send them a first draft of the report and they will call me up and say, so I like what you did here, but could you please change this to this way? Because this is the way that, you know, we tend to prefer it in the legal world. And sometimes it's even like wording. Can you change the word like suggest to uncertain or, or something? You know, they have like wording that they prefer. As long as it doesn't change the message that I'm sending, you know, it's fine. Little things like that. And with one of the cases that's coming up, one of the lawyers has actually hired a consultant to come in and prepare me for the stand because they really want me to be prepared for the opposing counsel and the types of questions they might ask me on the stand. So those are types of things that they will just do for us um, on the job. So they, they do expect that there is gonna be a learning curve for most of us. And I think they're prepared to help us, to teach us as we go through it. I think that's a really great insight. So what do you like most about your job running your own company? I like answering that question because I get to decide what I do. I, I get to pick whatever projects I take on and I get to decide who I work with, um, which is really exciting for me. I like to tell people like, I have a team that does this and I, you know, I have collaborators that do this. Um, and I just have a really great group of people that I like to work with on a regular basis. And we work well together. And every time we deliver a product, it's in my opinion, spectacular. And so I just really enjoy getting to sit with them and brainstorm ideas and come up with new products. I just got out of a meeting before this where we just sort of came up with this new strategy for we're working on um, a new product for kindergarten through 12th grade teachers. And we want to help them sort of include weather data into their classrooms, real weather data, like net CDF files that they can manipulate with their students so they can look at forecasts or past climate data that they're interested in at like a really close level. And so we wanna give them opportunity to do that. And so we just came up with a really cool idea about how we might be able to make that happen really easily for them. And so um, that's kind of exciting. You know, it's like, oh, wow, we can make this happen. And uh, it's just really neat to be able to come up with these ideas and um, just sort of go for it <laughs> and do these fun things. So on the flip side, 
what are some of the biggest challenges either working as a science educator or as a CCM? So I would say as a CCM, one of the biggest things for me is the stress <laughs> of not knowing where the next paycheck is coming from necessarily. Um, so it's like, if you get a case, usually it's a, it's a lot of work all at once. So I have to give a report and I was given two weeks notice. And usually a report is about 10 or 15 hours of work, depending on the type of report. And that's a lot of, that's, that's a good chunk of money in a very, very short period of time. And then I'll have nothing to do until <laughs> they either get back to me or another lawyer comes with something else or one of the other lawyers that I'm waiting on has something else to do. So it's one of those things where you get really uneven flow of income and, and you over time sort of start to see what the pattern is, like where your level of income kind of is and what to expect. But it does take a while. <laughs> it does take quite a while to sort of see where it is that um, your sort of baseline is, I guess, um, for your business, like where you, can, where you can expect to be at any given moment. And, and yeah, how much you can pay yourself <laughs> as an employee, uh, that sort of thing. So um, I'm still kind of learning that. And one of the other things is I heard uh, Matt Rogers is, is another meteorologist and a business owner. And one of the things I heard him say once that I think was just really well put was the highs are higher as a business owner and the lows are lower. And that's just really well stated that like when you're successful, it is just, it feels so good. But when you have just, I don't know, a bad day or some project that you've been working on just bombs or you have a deposition where the, the other lawyer, they just got you. <laughs> and, like it was, it was bad. Like you just feel really defeated. Like, well, wow, I really let my client down. Um, and it, and it can be really, it can be really hard. So you have to be prepared for those days. They kind of, you know, they happen. So um, that's one of those things you have to be prepared for as well is the emotional ups and downs as well as the financial ups and downs. Thank you for, for being so, so honest with those challenges. They feel very real. And I, I think you've stated them very plainly, but eloquently. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the Certified Consulting Meteorologist Program, could you tell us a little bit about what it is and when exactly you decided to pursue this credential? Was it as you were spinning up your business at that point or when did you learn about it? Yeah, um, so I first learned about it when I was an undergrad at Iowa State University. Professor Tackley was a CCM um, and he's been on the board of certified consulting meteorologists, I think off and on several times. But he has done side work as an expert witness, I believe, for most of his career. And I, I believe he's retired now. But um, he talked to our class about it and explained what he did and what the CCM was. And that was the very first time it was put on my radar. And I remember sort of thinking, well, that's kind of cool. That That could be something I could do if I wanted to be a professor, maybe that could be a really cool thing that I might want to consider. So it was always in the back of my mind, I guess. And every time I met a CCM or was at an AMS meeting and, you know, saw a CCM or, or heard of one, like I was like, oh yeah, I should probably, you know, keep that in mind or look into that. But it wasn't really until I got my PhD and I was 
thinking about, well, maybe I need to do some consulting work. That's when I realized I felt like I didn't have credibility anymore because I don't have my university email address anymore. I don't have my university affiliation anymore. I've always been affiliated with the university. So now I'm going to reach out to people and be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a meteorologist and I can do this work for you. But through my personal email account and, and I mean, how do I have credibility? I sort of felt like I was honestly, you know, like kids who have lemonade stands. Like I kind of felt like that, like I was trying to sell lemonade for $5 a cup and just being like, no, trust me, I, I know this is really good lemonade. I've studied lemonade making. Just trust me. I just felt like, I don't know, what, what am I doing? <laughs> so I just, I really felt like I needed to prove to myself that I had the credibility to do this, but also to have some sort of credential that I could show the people that I was coming to, my potential clients, that I had the knowledge and experience to do what they needed me to do. So the CCM just seemed like a really good option for me to pursue. So um, I started looking into it. I think I graduated with my PhD in 2013. So that's when I started the process. Um, and at that point, I had worked um, as a research assistant and a teaching assistant off and on. So I was doing research and teaching in the field of meteorology for about six or seven years, I believe. Um, so I had the experience that I needed in addition to the education. And so in order to even start the process, you need, and um, Kelly, you can, well, Kelly and Rex, you can both correct me if I'm wrong on the numbers here, but I believe it's five years of experience working in the field. And to a certain extent, your master's and PhD coursework can count to a, to a certain extent. Once you've met that criteria, then you can apply. And the first thing that you do is take a written exam. And it's an open book, open everything. You can use whatever resource you want to answer the questions, um, but you have about three months to do it, I think. And you have to submit with that a consulting essay to demonstrate your written communication skills, as well as your meteorology knowledge with the written exam. You have to get a passing score on both of those. And if you do that, you move on to the oral examination. And then <laughs> you pass the oral examination, you become a certified consulting meteorologist. The oral examination is in front of several members of the board of certified consulting meteorologists. And that entire process usually takes, I don't know how long it takes now that a lot of it is virtual, so it might be a little bit quicker, but um, it can take about a year to get the whole process done. So I think I became a certified consulting meteorologist. I think I completed the process in 2014. Yeah, it's taking a little less time now, maybe um, six months. So it's the, the virtual oral exam process has um, sped it up a bit which is good. And I can certify that you were correct, Morgan, on all counts with uh, five years of work experience that can be prorated if you have a postgraduate or a doctorate degree. So that's either one or two years taken off of the five-year total for having those degrees. And you know a lot about this because you are a current member of the CCM yeah. board. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's a good experience and uh, a good reminder, too, about grading some of those questions. I'm like, 
Uh, oh, yeah. I, it's been a while since I've done some of this math. <laughs> it's a good reminder. <laughs> so do you think it was a worthwhile program and certification for you to pursue? Do you think it, it's helped in your, um, yeah. your consulting work? Oh, oh, absolutely. A hundred percent, of course. Yes, I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's one of those things that I definitely like to um, recommend to all, especially early career professionals, but anybody. Um, definitely look into it, consider it. Um, I Not only did I feel like once I got that certification, I really felt like, okay, I, I am, you know, I can do this. You know, I, I do know what I'm doing. I do have that experience. My knowledge isn't just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I just felt like maybe it was imposter syndrome. I don't know what it was. It just, yeah, it, it just really helped me feel like, yeah, I can do this. And it also helped to put that, you know, on my email signature, like I am a certified consulting meteorologist, you know, AMS <laughs> put my put their seal of approval on me. And so it just gave me the credibility that I needed. And um, I, I definitely find that lawyers will tell me that they look for CCMs. And there's been some cases where um, other meteorology companies have reached out to me specifically because they wanted to submit prospectus to some potential client but they won't accept any unless they have a CCM on their team. Hmm. So there's clearly, I think, becoming precedence for the, the value of the CCM. And, um, and I think it's a great thing. I, I think it really shows the, yeah, it shows the value of what we all go through because it, it's not an easy process. It, it really is very rigorous and being able to say I did it and I got it is, um, yeah, it's something I definitely take pride in. And it's a great community to be a part of as well, because just about everybody that I've met who is a CCM is just super helpful and supportive. And um, we just, I don't know, it, it's just a great community to, to be a part of, just like the rest of the meteorology community. That's definitely good to hear. So, now that you're established in your career, what advice do you have for students that will help them in their job search? It's funny you say established because I, I still don't feel that I am sometimes. <laughs> um, I think, I, I guess one of the things that I want to tell students is to, to not be afraid to explore things that are not traditional. If you think you want to go into the weather service, but you see this other opportunity that doesn't quite fit with the weather service track, but this kind of looks like it might be fun. Don't be afraid to do it just because it's out of the norm. Doesn't mean you can't go into the weather service after, you know, but don't be afraid to veer off the track a little bit because sometimes those side things could lead to something interesting or something unexpected. And in addition to that, I think that having unique experiences or things that are off of the normal path makes you more valuable to the profession because it gives you a perspective that's unique. It gives you a unique perspective and that's always valuable. And so don't feel like you have to do what's expected. You know, don't be afraid to be unique. Don't be afraid to do different things or try new things. Open up the lemonade stand. Yes, open up the lemonade stand. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so Morgan, 
Before we end the podcast, we'd like to always ask our guests one last fun question unrelated to meteorology. And I'd like to ask you, let us know for our listeners, what's your all-time favorite movie and why? Yes. I will always happily tell people that Legally Blonde is the best movie that's ever been made. And I say that because, of course, it's a great girl power, female empowerment movie. But it's also a really great don't judge a book by its cover thing and um, Rise of the Underdog. But also an awesome story about persistence and, um, uh, yeah, persisting. And I just think that there's so many great sort of interlocking sort of lessons to be learned in that movie. And when I was going through college, I would like play that movie on repeat while I was doing my <laughs> calculus. So I just think if, it's, if it's been a while since you've watched it, maybe just go and watch it again and remind yourself how awesome that movie is. Yeah, I definitely remember <laughs> it being, well, it exceeded my expectations. My expectations yeah. weren't that high. And then when I did see it, I agree with you that it was really good. It was a really good movie <laughs> with a good message. And I'm sure that helped you get through your calculus. You're just like, I just got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to be like Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, Morgan, and sharing your work experience with us. It's been a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you both. I really appreciate it. And this is fun. I enjoyed the talk. It's a lot of fun. That's our show for today. Please join us next time. Rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is produced by Brandon Kroos and edited by Peter Trepke. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy and the show is hosted by Rex Horner and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org slash clear skies and can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or if you would like to become a future guest. Music